All church family, let us turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs as we continue our series through the Proverbs. Normally I'll stand up here with my Bible and just stay in one place with you. We're going to be mainly in one place this morning, but uh, there are so many Proverbs that weigh in on on each topic that we can address. Um, And so these few sermons that we have here uh, the last couple weeks and today and next week as well. Uh, We're going to be looking at several different Proverbs. So I'm going to turn you to one place, chapter 12, and then other verses we'll look at. You don't have to turn around, and the Bible will have them up on the screen for you, and we'll see how that works uh, for today so we can get a good grasp on what God says from his word on today's particular topic of uh, speech. Not standing up and giving a speech, like, kind of like what I'm doing now, but how you use your words in day-to-day life. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time, and we're grateful that we, you give us your word so that we can have instruction and guidance and knowledge, um, the wisdom to apply that knowledge in particular situations, Lord. And as we think about how we use our words this morning, Father, we do ask for your grace Give us instruction and give us empowerment to be able to live according to that instruction. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's really easy for us to underestimate the weight of words. You know, we say things like, meh, he's all talk. Right? Um, That is, if the actions don't back up what he's saying, it doesn't really matter what he's doing. This is talk, and talk doesn't matter. Or you hear phrases like, it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do. Almost as if, well, it doesn't matter what you say. And there's some truth to the fact that saying something and not actually doing it, carrying through with the doing, there's something hollow in that. You you said something with your words, but you didn't follow through with your actions, and nobody likes that person. That's not a a responsible person, someone that you can count on. Um, I was recently reminded that the United States uh, Merchant Marines Academy motto is acta non verba. Words, not or actions, not words. Uh, Deeds, not talk, right? And there's some truth to that. We might say, put your money where your mouth is, because if you don't, want to hear this. But you can take that to a certain extreme where words, you're you're trying to convince yourself words don't count at all. It was just words, so who cares? Some of us uh, from our earliest days were taught the little, I don't know, maxim that sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that really true? That's a different kind of hurt. It's a different kind of hurt than a broken bone. But how many of us would rather have suffered a broken arm, put it in the cast, it heals, and then you're back to the playground? Some of us are 40, 50, 60 years old and still carrying around something somebody told you when you were three. Words hurt. Words heal. Because words are powerful. So we don't want to underestimate the power of words and understanding that words have a powerful effect. It's not wimpy to admit that. 
It's godly to understand that. You're not a wimp if words hurt you. That's how life is. Words are powerful. God built it that way. So we don't want to underestimate the power of words. We want to use them carefully. We want to wield them with wisdom. And so the Proverbs, I mean, the the Bible as a whole has a lot to say about how to watch your mouth. But the Proverbs in particular are replete, filled with wisdom on how to use words. So God puts a lot of attention on this topic throughout the Bible, especially in the Proverbs. And we see wisdom for speech, particularly in Proverbs chapter 12, a particular concentration of verses on the topic of speech in Proverbs chapter 12. So would you turn there with me? This chapter is dense with this topic, the topic of the effect of words, Proverbs chapter 12. We won't read every verse in this chapter because it it turns, it makes many turns on different topics, Um, but you'll see how it keeps coming back to this idea of words, how you use your lips, what comes out of your mouth, and here's the principle we're going to learn from Proverbs. Foolish words ruin, wise words rescue. Foolish words, wicked words, evil words ruin people, destroy people, hurt people, bring people down. But wise words do the opposite. Wise words rescue and heal and fix and build up. That's why it's important. And that's why words count. Words matter. Foolish words ruin, but wise words rescue. Look at verse 5 and 6. It starts with the positive, goes into the negative for two lines, and then back out to the positive. The thoughts of the righteous are just. That's a good thing. The thoughts of the righteous are just. Well, what's the opposite of that? Two lines on that. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Now back out to the positive. But the mouth of the upright delivers them. So it's like, be this. Don't be this. So be this, right? The Proverbs have that rhythm oftentimes, contrasting. So what we see throughout the Proverbs is a contrast. You can use words this way, and it's great. You can words, use words this way, and it's terrible. And the reason why wise words are great and the reason why foolish words are terrible is because wise words rescue people, save people, help people. But the opposite, foolish words uh, are murderous. I mean, look at... The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. They deceive you. But what's the effect? The words, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. I don't think Solomon would agree that only physical harm can break bones or cut you. It's a, another kind of cut. It's another kind of bludgeoning. Verse 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Counsels of the wicked are deceitful, and because they're deceitful, they kill. You can go back to the garden for that one. Why did the serpent deceive? To kill them. And then what is the first big crime that we see? Murder from one brother to another. Abel's blood crying out for justice from the soil. All on the backs of deceit. 
God came along and gave righteous words. Hey, Cain, sin wants you, but don't listen to it. He's trying to build Cain up, right? Cain murders instead. God's wide words were not heeded. The serpent's deceitful words were followed instead. So you see that from the very first opening of the Bible all the way through. This is what words do. Thoughts of the righteous are just, and the mouth of the upright delivers those who would otherwise be deceived. The mouth of the upright, the the wise, deliver those who would otherwise uh, spill blood because of the deceit of the wicked. The righteous are always thinking about what's just, what is right. The wicked say what they need in order to meet their own goals, what's good for them, even if it ruins someone else. But the righteous don't just keep their thoughts of justice to themselves, they use their words to undo the lies of the wicked. This really is about the power of words, isn't it? Not power like some Christian cults would tell you, you speak things into existence, if you want a car, just say it, put Jesus at the end of it, and then open your garage door in the morning, right? That's silly. Words don't have the power to produce whatever you want in your garage or in your bank account. It's not that. But words have the power to protect, to build, to help, instead of ruin and destroy. It's easy to do that. Think of how many people as adults, like I mentioned before, carry around the weight of being told by some parent or some teacher when they were little they weren't good enough to be loved or that they're useless, or that they'll never amount to anything. And decades later, that's still driving your decisions. You're either addicted to ambitious pursuits because you want to prove that wrong, or you just lie in depression and don't do anything with your life because you think it's true. Both of those extremes are driven by the lie, and they'll ruin your life. Those of you who are around children, especially, watch what you say. Watch what you say. Because those kinds of things, they are lies. And they'll ruin people from the inside out. Then the wise words of the Lord come along and they say to somebody who's been told they're not good enough or they're useless or they don't meet my expectations as a parent or a teacher or a coach. The Lord's words come along and say, hey, I created you. You're made in my image. It's marred, but Jesus took on your frail frame, defeated temptations, defeated sin and death, and his victory over death is proven in his resurrection. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he created a way for you to fulfill your purpose to worship the Lord and delight in him. That's truth. We can carry those words to others who need those destructive lies Exposed. We see this in other Proverbs. We'll put these up for you so you don't have to spin around in the Bible. But Proverbs like chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. See, words give life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. In other words, it seems nice at first what the wicked person is saying, but it's going to end up violent. It's going to hurt you. Words of the wicked don't always look destructive on the surface. It's like when your friends would convince you your parents' rules are dumb 
or barbarically oppressive. And you're kind of like, yeah, they kind of are. You know, like the freedom we're inviting you into is awesome. That doesn't seem like violence at first. At first, it seems like your parents are doing the violence and escaping that oppressive scheme that your parents arbitrarily, arbitrarily, why is the curfew 10 o'clock? Why not 11 o'clock? Why not 9 o'clock? It's just arbitrary. The parents, they don't think. But it's actually backwards. The wisdom of your parents is there to give you life. And what looks like freedom to go out from underneath that umbrella is actually destructive. So we can see that this proves itself when you're growing up as a kid. It proves itself in the workplace. It proves itself in church. It proves itself when we're just hanging out with people. It's confirmed again in chapter 10, verse 14. Chapter 10, verse 14, we'll have this up for you. The wise lay up knowledge, but what does the mouth of a fool bring? It brings ruin near. Ruin, ruin, destruction. And it's not just knowledge and foolishness, but what the wise do with that knowledge, they lay it up. They don't just store it up, but they also convey it when necessary. But the mouth of a fool brings ruin. Because he doesn't keep his foolishness to himself. himself. He spreads that foolishness to others. And when others join in that foolishness because of what he's saying with his foolish words coming out of his foolish heart and foolish mind, it leads to a fool's end, which is destruction and ruin. Even if it doesn't seem like that at first, that's where it goes. Words matter because words invite and they beckon, and they call, and they challenge. Did God really say? Those are just words. Serpent didn't touch Eve. But you follow that path because of the words, and you end in ruin. Words matter. Words matter because they can ruin people or they can rescue people. And we see this throughout the Proverbs. We see this throughout scriptures, repeatedly proven in real life, that foolish words ruin, wise words rescue They don't just rescue other people, but yourself. Back in chapter 12, look at verse 13 and 14. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, what he says. But the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Let's unpack that just real quick. An evil man is ensnared. What does that mean? It's a trap. He's trapped by the sin, the transgression of the things that he says. He traps himself with that nonsense. But the righteous, they don't get trapped by that. There's trouble, but they escape it, right? Because of their wisdom, because of their righteousness. So your words can truly come back to haunt you. Because when you say those foolish things, it becomes a trap for you. We say words come back to haunt you. That's what that means. But they won't haunt you if what what you have to say is righteous. Those won't come back to haunt you. Those will come back to free you. To free you. You remember uh, in the book of Esther, Haman really had it out for Mordecai. And Haman created this entire gallow to hang Mordecai and at the end sorry but you should have 
You should have read Esther by now. Who ends up hanging on that gallow? Haman. And so the Proverbs are basically echoing that truth in life that you, you set traps for yourself when you're trying to cut down other people and you use speech to be violent toward other people or invite people into that violence, you end up suffering because of that. That's a pattern in life. When you use words to try to get at other people, eventually they'll come back to bite you. You think when you join in on that gossip circle, when you walk away, they're not gossiping about you? You think when to maybe get a promotion, to maybe get out of trouble, you throw your coworker under the bus? You think the employer is like, that's the guy I need to promote? You're an under-the-bus thrower. That's it. And you might think you got out of that immediate situation and immediate trouble, but in the end, nobody wants that employee. So those words come back to haunt you in many ways. Now, for the moment, it might look like lies and traps are worth it because they get you out of that bind. Over time, it's not true. Look at verse 14. I love how at first you're like, I don't get what one verse has to do with another. But when you put them together, you're like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. You know how when you work really hard, you might not see the fruit immediately? The paycheck comes later. The harvest comes later. The benefits come later. But you work hard now. Eventually, those good things come back to you. That's what good words are like. Good words don't come back to haunt you. Good words come back to bless you. It's like every word you say is a boomerang, whether you like it or not. Do you want it to come back and cut you, or do you want it to come back bearing gifts? That's, that's the reality. And so if foolish words come back to haunt you, righteous words come back to bless you. Just like when you do hard work and the blessings come, and we, we saw some of that and some of the other Proverbs about the importance of diligence and hard work and the payoff. Here's a couple verses that back that up. One of them is chapter 13, verse 2. Very similar. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Not just from the fruit of your labor do you eat what is good, from the fruit of what you say. What comes out of your mouth? Also, chapter 18, chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. Similar theme, right? From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. You would think it would say, from the fruit of a man's hand and feet, his labor. That is true, and lots of Proverbs say that, but this is saying even what you say has to do with what ends up in your pantry with your provisions and general satisfaction in life. Verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's powerful. So what do wise and foolish words look like in practical terms? Right? Wise words build up and rescue Yourself, others, foolish words are ruinous. What does that look like in practical terms? 
Well, one big difference, there are many, and we can look at many, but trying to keep it focused here. Here's one big difference between words that ruin and words that rescue. One big difference is knowing when to speak. Knowing when to speak. And it's not just about timing. That's a part of it. But knowing when to speak. Staying in chapter 12, look at verse 16. The wise are not provoked into rash responses. The wise are not provoked into rash responses. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. I think we all just got cut right there by God's wonderful, gracious, surgical knife. How many of you can instantly think of like somebody insulted you and you, bang, you came back with a zinger. They put you down, you put them double down. That guy pulled up and rolled his window down. You idiot. Well, you're a moron. You just had something ready, right? We're always cocked and loaded with a return insult. We learn how to do that on the playground as kids. Some of us, it's a survival instinct. You don't just let an insult go. You wimp. Especially when the other people around you are like, oh, you know, burn. You're not going to sit there and take it. And you're like, God, please give me wisdom. And he's like, hey, dummy, sit there and take it sometimes. Anybody can snap back with an answer and get angry back and meet anger for anger, insult for insult. Anybody could do that. It takes a godly person to turn the other cheek. It takes someone like Jesus to understand there's wisdom in turning the other cheek when insulted. The vexation, the anger of a fool is known immediately. Something ticks him off, everybody knows it. But the prudent, the wise, the righteous person who heeds God's instruction ignores an insult. Now we we think that's weak and that's actually strength to let the insult go. That's amazing. Sometimes immediate anger clouds judgment and we say things we regret. If we speak in that moment, we're going to say something stupid. We might ruin our reputation. We can ruin relationships just because we spoke in the moment. But the prudent, they're able to ignore things that don't need to be addressed. You can ignore that guy rolling down his window, giving you a piece of his mind with a few expletives about how you drive. Rash responses are like fuel for an already out-of-control fire. If you roll your window down, you think you're going to have a reasonable conversation about traffic laws? I tried that once. I tried that once. I rolled down the window. I I talked to Danny about it. I was like, help me out here, because it's a traffic law issue, right? Turned out I was right. But was that the time with my family and kids in the car? Like, hey, man, let me talk to you about U-turns. You're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. Let me explain how to drive to you. You're an idiot. That's not the time. That's not the moment. It was foolish of me to engage in the conversation at that time. 
the prudent ignore an insult. And when I see a verse like this, family, I think of the absolute self-control it takes to let an insult go. The absolute control of self to be able to do that. This is why you can't do a devotional in the moment. You have to have been building up this kind of spirituality throughout the week, throughout the month. And then in that heated moment, you're coming from this place of peace. But if, if you're not building wisdom all that other time, wisdom's not going to necessarily just drop in your lap in the moment. It takes self-discipline and self-control over time to be ready for that moment. You're already prudent. And because you're already prudent in that moment, you can ignore the insult. So prudence needs to be built into our lives. Fools let the anger fly right away, this verse says, but not the wise. The wise are measured, in control, and they know when it's not worth responding. Facebookers, you don't, you don't have to leave a comment. Have you ever seen something get resolved in the comments? Like, oh yeah, thank you. I'm switching political parties now. That's not worth it. We don't need to demand justice for ourselves in every instance of offense. Sometimes the prudent thing to do is let it go. We don't return belittling for belittling. Let's look at a couple backup verses. The first one's 11.12, Proverbs 11.12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. In other words, that's stupid. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense puts somebody down. But a man of understanding remains silent. The virtue of silence. Just don't say anything. Somebody puts you down, you don't have to respond. You see something in someone that's totally terrible and you want to put them down for it, you don't have to say it. The sensible thing to do is to be quiet, or as this passage says, to remain silent. If you understand, if you're wise, then you know when to let it go. Chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips come to ruin. Whatever comes to, I speak my mind. I speak my mind. You're an idiot. Everybody has thoughts on their mind. Only the foolish person says everything that's on it. You don't have to say everything that's on your mind. And it's definitely not a badge of honor to say, I just say as soon as I think it, I say it. That's the kind of person I am. I know we need renewal. Because we're fools. But the person who knows how to guard his mouth preserves his own life. He rescues his own life by knowing what a filter is and how to use a filter and how to thicken that filter sometimes a little bit. Look at verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17. The wise are not reserved in speaking the truth. Because if we stopped here, we'd go, okay, never say anything. Got it. No, no. Sometimes say something. But you don't say something rash. You don't return an insult with an insult. You don't just act in the heat of the moment. You ignore the insult. You learn when to be quiet. But there are times when you should speak. It says, verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Some occasions demand that you speak up with the truth. 
Perhaps it's an instance where evidence is needed. Look at the, look at the verse. Gives honest evidence. And evidence in a situation might be required to determine the truth of a situation. And you've got that truth. Someone's about to get in trouble because something's untrue. You've got the truth. You've got the evidence. You can help that person. Well, I was taught last Sunday, Pastor Lucas said not to say anything. So we're not talking about insults here. We're talking about the fact that you have evidence. You can supply to help out in a situation. Someone's in trouble. The wicked skew evidence to get the verdict they want. A false witness utters deceit. That's the opposite of rash words. Notice the opposite of rash words is not no words. The opposite of rash words is knowing the truth and knowing when to say it. Not a vow of silence, but a vow to know when to be silent and when to use truth. That takes wisdom. Here's another way to discern when to speak. Whether your words are wounding or healing. Rash words wound But wise words heal. Look at verse 18. If you're still in chapter 12 with me, look at verse 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, gouging you, stabbing you. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, when it says tongue, it's your mouth, your words. So somebody uses rash words, quick responses, whatever comes to their mind. I speak my mind. They're just stabbing everybody along the way. Somebody who's prudent, wise, knows how to use their words. They remain silent when they're insulted or when it's not a wise time to use their words, but they know when to use their words to bring healing instead of a sword thrust. The foolish get angry quickly, and they let rash words fly to cut the other person down. The wise use words to sew a hurting person up. Think about the utter wisdom in this. The person who insulted you is probably carrying around the weight of foolish words that have been foisted upon them. They cut because they've been cut. They're probably internally bleeding from wounds of the past inflicted by others. That's probably true of someone who's hurling insults. Is it wise to return their sword thrust with more sword thrust? He's bleeding. She's bleeding. Now you're bleeding. And you pull out your sword. Now they're bleeding more. Violence, right? What if you're the first person in a long time that came to that fight with some balm, with a med kit? I know you're hurting, and what you said actually just hurt me. But, you know, let me sew this up real quick. Let me apply something different. Let me stitch some of that up. That doesn't, that's not a formula. That doesn't mean they're going to suddenly turn into your best friend. But you're at least giving them a chance to take a step in the direction of healing rather than continuing the sword thrusts. Sometimes you don't just ignore an insult. You de-escalate with wise words. Chapter 15, verse 1. We'll put this up for you. A couple verses here. 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if you return the sword thrust with more sword thrust, you're stirring it up. And it's just going to be a a sword fight that gets out of hand. But they bring a sword, you bring a med kit. It's a soft answer that might turn down the steam coming out of their ears. 
They're probably not even mad at you. They're mad at something else. And when you apply some balm, it, it, it can calm them down. I don't know if this is an appropriate analogy, but Saul was given to throwing, given to throwing spears at David, and David played music. It's like, shh. <laughs> He'd sing lullabies to the king. It's kind of silly if you think about it. And he'd kind of ignore the spears and like, ah, oh, the music. I, I don't really get it. I don't know if that would do it for me if I were out of control like that. But it's applying something gentle to ease the harshness of the storm that's brewing in someone's heart and mind. 15 verse 4. Speech is life-giving. Why speech is life-giving? It says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You see the theme again. What do wise words do? They give people life and healing and help and rescue. What do foolish words do? Perverse words. Taking what should be a good word, a gentle word, and making it harsh, for example. You break people's spirit. Or someone whose spirit is already broken, you make it worse with your words. Perverseness in the words breaks the spirit. You might feel like they're breaking you, so you want to break them back. That will only come back to ensnare you. Better to give life-giving words, better to use gentleness. Again, 1624, we'll put this up. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So someone comes, they're bitter, they're harsh, you're like, ooh, that is bitter. Let me show you something sweet. You're giving them something different. So the way to discern between words that rescue versus words that ruin is knowing when to be silent and when to speak up. And when it's time to speak up, it's time to speak up to heal, not to further the argument or exchange the insults. We'll move quickly here, but back to chapter 12. We see that the wise rescue with words because we are rescued, and the wicked ruin with words because they're ruined. We do it because of our position and what's already happened to us, 19 to 22. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Truthful lips, truth speakers last, and liars, deceivers, people who wield words for foolishness and wickedness, only last for a moment, 19 says. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. They're already evil. That's why they do deceit. That's why they deceive. But those who plan peace have joy. Why do they plan peace? Because they already have joy. See? Your position will determine how you use your words. 21. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. We see those who don't speak truth are themselves destroyed because they will not endure. Abominations to the Lord won't last. But those who use the Lord's wisdom, no ill will befall them. Maybe temporarily ill will befall them. It's not like those of us who use wise words, we never get sick, we never get into a car accident, nothing bad ever happens to us. But overall, we experience a general pattern of... God's blessing in our lives, and then, of course, pushing into the future. This pushes into that weird space where the Proverbs talk about now success and also push into what forever means. 
As New Testament Christians, we got, we've received much more clarity that there really is a forever with the Lord and where we will enjoy resurrected bodies and renewed earth, fellowship with the Lord in the absence of sin and folly forever. So the last thing we'll see is the wisdom. The wisdom we're seeing in all these verses is that we should be wise with our words because wise words rescue while wicked words ruin. Verse 13 of chapter 12 is sort of a recap, returning us to that main point. 12.23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, heart of fools proclaims folly. If you're like, man, we saw that already, I know. That's the experience when you read through the Proverbs. It gives it to you this way, it gives it to you that way, again and again and again. So that we leave here going, wise words rescue, foolish words ruin, over and over and over. A prudent man conceals knowledge, that's good to do. But the heart of a fool proclaims folly, lets his folly known. Truth-telling is not the same as saying everything that's on your mind at any given moment. But this doesn't mean scandalous cover-ups. Because we already saw the importance of truth and the abomination of lies. So when it says the prudent man conceals knowledge, it's not cover-up, burying secrets. That's not what it means. It means concealing something I know to say. I know it's true, but just because it's true knowledge doesn't mean I should say it. I know when to conceal it. So it's going back to the same principle we saw earlier. We saw this contrast back in verse 5 between the thoughts of the righteous versus the counsels of the wicked. Not sure if you caught that in verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous versus the blah, 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 blah of the wicked, right? Sometimes they just remain thoughts, and they don't always have to be spoken. Other times, of course, truth, counsel, correction, encouragement are needed. You have to speak up in order to give those, offer those to somebody else. We can discern the difference by asking whether our words are to rescue or to ruin the other person. So this is as practical as I can get. You're in a moment and you're wondering, should I speak or should I not speak? The question is, will these words heal, rescue, help, or ruin, cause ruin, cause destruction? That's what we're trying to discern. Should I send this email or should I just leave it alone? Should I respond to this thread on this Facebook chat? Or should I leave it alone? Should I respond to this person that just said something at work? Or should I leave it alone? And it's not like, well, I said something yesterday, so I guess today is an on day. I'm saying it. The difference, the discernment, is are you going to bring a med kit to the conversation or are you just pulling out your own sword? That's the difference. As we think about that in closing, remember the Gospel of John refers to Jesus as the word. And so it's no wonder that John also tells us Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Word brings life. The word or the wisdom of God. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Not truth without grace. Not grace without truth. We speak truth in love, Paul says. And that's flowing from the word that we know, God's true wisdom, Jesus Christ. Jesus rescues with grace and truth. He rescues us from the father of lies who steals, kills, and destroys. Also in John, John 10. Therefore, if we're changed by him, we follow him. We've repented of our folly and our hearts that are predisposed to pervert good speech. 
we've been changed, we've been transformed, then we should speak like Jesus. We speak truth, and we speak truth with grace. We confront insults with silence. Sometimes we seek to heal the offender with gentle words. Or we make peace by de-escalating with a soft response. But we do it to extend the rescue that Jesus granted us. We extend that to others who are still trapped in cycles of foolish speech and sin and folly. So let's use words to build up. Let's use words to encourage. Let's use words to heal. Let's use words to rescue. Wicked words ruin. Wise words rescue. Let's pray. Father, really easy sermon to preach, really difficult for us to live. We ask that you would build in us hearts of worship, hearts of obedience, build in us prudence and wisdom, so that in those difficult moments where we're tempted to lash out, to speak whatever is coming through our hearts, through our minds, that we'd be able to apply an appropriate filter and say the things that uh, can heal, can build up. Sometimes people won't have it. Even a good conversation help us to learn when to exit a conversation, when to ignore an insult, when to remain silent. Father, left to ourselves, we won't do it. So we ask that you would give us grace to live it out, empower us by your spirit to live it out, Father. Help us to get better at it, to be focused on it, to practice, to learn, to improve and mature. As we close in this song, Lord, work that into our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name.